In Yellow Favasinus, let's get Leviticus chapter 27. Today we're continuing our journey through these tricky topics. We're almost done, by the way. We're coming down the home stretch of the tricky topics. But today we're, we're going to cover one that, um, to be honest, this isn't tricky. This is very, I, I believe, straightforward in the Bible. It gets tricky because we're talking about money. And that's the tricky part of it, is people get sensitive about their money and anybody telling them how to use it. There's always going to be some opinions about it. But I, I think the Bible is quite clear on this. And this is a good lesson, good time to go over tithing, is what we're going to talk about today, and make sure we're on the same page. And as you might know, all of these tricky topics are things related to church activity, church life. So all the things we've covered is pertaining to the local church. This is no different. So Leviticus 27, we'll begin in verse 32. I'm just laying a little groundwork. Make sure that everybody understands what a tithe is. Leviticus 27 and 32. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. And the Bible, on many occasions, this is no exception, defines itself. What is a tithe? The beginning of the verse, you see the word tithe. At the end of the verse, it is the tenth. So you guys with Afrikaans, you already knew that before we read the verse, didn't you? Because the word for tithe in Afrikaans is tinda, right? In Malawi, the word for tithe is chakumi. Kumi is ten. Chakumi is of the tenth. The tenth. So chakumi is tenth, just like you say tinda. So I think... In this particular case, we English people kind of fall behind a little bit. We need the dictionary, whereas you guys already had that figured out. Let me point something else out from verse 32 as it pertains to the tithe or the tenth. It says in the middle, whatsoever passeth under the rod. Now, these shepherds back in the day were in the verse, were reading about herds and flocks and so forth. This would apply to your corn, any food products, you know, that you grow in the field. But in this verse, livestock the shepherd would hold up a rod. And my grandfather was a, a shepherd. He had about 400 sheep. And I'd go out and herd the sheep with him. And, and it was amazing to go out to the field and you'd see no sheep. They're all up in the hills. He would stand by the gate and he would make sure to open a narrow gate. You don't want the wide gate. You don't want to enter in at the wide gate be, be, because then the shepherd can't count them all. So you, you open a narrow gate so that you can count them and make sure every sheep is accounted for. You don't want 99, you want all 100. Right. Anyway, a little bit of preaching there. But, so Grandpa Joe would open up that, that sheep gate. He'd open it up, hold up that rod, and that way the sheep could see exactly where he's at. And then he would start calling out, sheep, 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 sheep. And I, I remember when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, I'd try to mimic that. I would go out in the empty field. I knew the sheep were in the hills. And I'd, I'd go out there, sheep, 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 sheep. You know, eight-year-old trying to be a shepherd. I'd hold up a little twig, sheep, sheep, sheep. But, but listen, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They never came to me because I wasn't the shepherd. Jesus said the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. So Grandpa Joe, sheep, 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 and mat, mat, mat. You could just hear him running down that hill. And, and Grandpa Joe said, now be quiet, don't move because he didn't want me to spook the sheep back into the field. Here they're coming in, and he'd count one, two, three, four. He'd get all, you know, all 400 of them, however many he had at the time. And they are coming in under the rod. That is your income. They are coming into the 
field, into the sheepfold, into the crawl. The crawl. They're coming, and you're counting the income. Now, modern day, it's much simpler. They hand you a check. Or, if you're like most folks, it just shows up in your bank account, EFT, however it goes. That is your income. So what you take is the income, whatever it is, and then you take a tenth of that before taxes. Because I know with paychecks a lot of times, you get, you get paid a certain amount, but then SARS already has a, a hand on, what, 30%, 30 it depends on how much you make. They're already taking their part, right? But that is your total income, that's before taxes, right? Just to make that clear. Now, that's, that's the tenth. I'm going to give you just a couple technical things about this. want to make sure we understand what the tenth is. And then we're going to get to some broader, more practical principles about tithing in just a moment. One of the technical sort of objections to tithing is the following. They say, well, Pastor Mike, we just read a verse in Leviticus, right? And we did. It's not as if Leviticus is the only place that talks about it, but here it is. It's in Leviticus. Um, let's, let's see if we can look at verse 30. Let's, while we're in Leviticus 27, verse 30 says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the whose? Who's, who does it belong to? It is the Lord's. 10% of your income is not yours. It is the Lord's. It doesn't become the Lord's when you give it to Him. It is the Lord's when He's giving it to you. You're just holding on to His stuff. Does that make sense? All right, the tenth is His. It is holy unto the Lord. It's not just His, it's sacred. It's something special. Now, I just want to put that in the back of your mind. But here it is. This is a law in the Old Testament given to the Jews. Yes? So the objection is, but, but pastor, this is a passage that is given to Israel in the Old Testament. It is for the Jews. We are not Old Testament Jews. Now, this is a biblical fact, is it not? We have to rightly divide the Bible. And when you get to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, these guys are not writing to Jews that are under the law. They're writing to saved people, Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. They're writing to saved people in the New Testament, specifically in the body of Christ. And we also know from Colossians, from Galatians, from many places, Titus, we know that the Old Testament laws and ordinances, they were nailed to the cross, right? Specifically the ordinances. Not thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, those things remain. But the ordinances that were given to the Jews, those have been nailed to the cross. So in Colossians 2, it specifically says, let no man therefore judge you in meats, in drinks, in holy days, in Sabbaths. All of those things were given to the Jews, right? Now the objection then goes, well, you see, God told Israel, Old Testament, here's their command, they should tithe. But those things have been removed. We are now long, no longer obligated to tithe because it's been pushed aside in the New Testament. However, just because you read something in the law does not mean that it's finished and clear now. You, you, you need to narrow that down. Let the Bible narrow down that list. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples. In Leviticus chapter 17, we are commanded, or let's say the Old Testament Jews were commanded to eat no blood. You guys remember that? The life of the flesh is in the blood, and you're not allowed to eat the blood. Now, now don't worry. If you like your steak medium rare, that, that's perfectly fine. We're talking about you slay the animal and partake of its blood. That's, you're not allowed to do that. 
Well, when you read in Genesis 9, guys, that's a thousand years before the law was given. Genesis 9. God says to Noah, don't eat anything with the blood. Well, that's before the law. And then when you read in Acts chapter 15, the apostles were writing to newly saved, freshly saved Gentiles, New Testament, and they said, watch out, don't go near idolatry, stay away from fornication, and don't eat anything strangled or with the blood. So there you have before the law, under the law, after the law, don't eat blood. So some laws are, can I say, universally applicable. It doesn't matter which time period or which age you're in, it's there. Come to Genesis chapter 14, and let's learn a little bit more about tithing specifically. Genesis 14. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to read with you verse 20. We're reading here about Abraham returning from the battle, having saved Lot. And now this man named Melchizedek shows up. This is the only time in the Old Testament we read about his like biographical story. We have one other mention in the book of Psalms. And then in Hebrews we read about him. But Melchizedek shows up. He's the priest of the Most High God. He blesses Abraham. And then verse 20. And, be blessed, or, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, And then this last sentence, and he, that's Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. So here's Abraham. He's received this blessing, this pronouncement from Melchizedek. Abraham, you're blessed, or Abram in this case. So Abram, he then tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. And Genesis chapter 14, the law is not there yet. We're in approximately, what, 1850 B.C.? The law doesn't show up for another 400 years. Here's tithing before the law. So you can't say, well, tithing is a law given to Israel specifically that only they had. That's not true. Other people were tithing even before the law showed up. Now keep that in mind, and let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to learn a little bit more about the New Testament side of this. So now you can see before the law, tithing is applicable, and it's not for Jews. Here you have the father of the Jewish nation tithing to a Gentile priest, right? The priest of the Most High God. And then under the law, we've read in Leviticus, now 1 Corinthians 9, what about in the New Testament, after the law? Now as you're finding 1 Corinthians 9, let me remind you, Jesus did have something to say about tithing. Remember the Pharisees, they would tithe mint, anise, cumin. Guys, do you realize how picky that is? I mean, have you seen mint leaves? You get a mint plant. Can you imagine picking off the mint leaves? That's what the Pharisees did. They would take a mint plant and pick off the leaves and go nine for us, one for God. Nine for us, one for God. They would tithe the mint. They would get the cumin powder, weigh it out, and then take one-tenth of that powder. That's for God. And Jesus, when he saw them doing this, he said, guys, you're straining at the gnat and swallowing the camel because you have remembered to do these small little details of the law, but you have forgotten love, judgment, mercy. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. So he didn't say stop tithing and just love one another. 
He said love, judgment, mercy, faith, these things, these are the big things, right? These are the camels that you ought to be paying attention to. You've let the camels just go straight by. He said, now you're worried about these little gnats, these little hojas flying around. He said, but guys, don't forget about those little things. You can keep doing that. These ought you to have done not to leave the other undone. So Jesus is all for tithing. He's not against it. He's for it. But again, the objection remains, Jesus was not preaching or saying that in the New Testament. He wasn't. He hadn't died on the cross yet. The New Testament starts when Jesus dies on the cross. So Jesus was not talking to saved people in the body of Christ. He was talking to Pharisees who are Jews in the Old Testament. Right? So, so the objection still stands. But what about in the New Testament? Well, 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to look at beginning in verse 4. Uh, 3, actually. But let me, let me give you one more thought before we go through this passage. One more thought about this. When Jesus said that tithing ought to be done, Right? People will say, well, that's, you know, Jesus is in the Old Testament, so that still doesn't apply. Certain things, when Jesus died on the cross, absolutely changed. And we know this, Colossians 2, it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, drink, respective holy days, Sabbaths, and so forth. Certain things got removed. We do, we do not, thank God, we don't have to go to a temple and offer up sheep, oxen, Goats, right? Because otherwise all of us would be really big into farming. <laughs> really big into farming, right? And the bigger the farmer, the bigger the sinner. <laughs> the more sheep you have, shame on you. <laughs> you got a lot of sacrificing to do. But when Jesus died, we no longer have to take sacrifices to the temple to gain forgiveness for our sins, right? His blood washes away our sins. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So Jesus' death does away with that sacrificial system. It's no longer necessary for us. Makes sense, right? Why did God give the Jews 613 commandments, precepts, and laws? Why did He do that? Well, the Bible's very clear on this. Throughout the Old Testament, God made Israel different. The, the biblical word is peculiar. We would say, a little weird. <laughs> a little weird. They had laws that were just different. Don't eat these meats. Whenever you wear a garment, you can't wear a, a garment with mixed fabrics. You can't have wool and linen in one garment. So a lot of you today, you're sinning. <laughs> if you were an Old Testament Jew, because you have polyester and cotton and stuff mixed into one. They couldn't do that. There were laws about how to handle bird eggs that you find on the road. Did you know that? Bird eggs. What, what do you do when you find a mama hen sitting on those eggs? You've got to treat the hen one way and take the eggs a different way. There were laws for all sorts of things. Now, these laws were there to make Israel stand out, sanctify them from the rest of the world. See? But in the New Testament, when we get saved, there's neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one in the body of Christ. Right? So when you get into the body of Christ, we're not supposed to be standing apart from the Jews. That's why God said, I've taken that middle wall of partition, I've taken it away, so that in Christ we can all be one people. See? Now, what about tithing? Did tithing make the nation of Israel peculiar from the rest of the world? Is that something where the rest of the world went, wow, why do you guys do that? We've never thought of that. Well, no, that, that didn't make them peculiar. I showed you the verse where Melchizedek was already receiving tithes. 
So that law didn't make them peculiar. So there would be no reason to remove that. That law would still be in, in effect. All right, so 1 Corinthians 9, verse 3. Mine answer to them that do examine Paul, you are not acting like the other apostles. The other apostles have, have wives, or you know, each apostle had his wife. You don't have a wife. The other apostles take offerings from us. They take our money when we offer up freely. You don't take our money. So since you're not acting like the other apostles, we don't think you're a real apostle. They doubted his apostleship. So he says, now I'm going to answer that. Verse 4, have we not power to eat and to drink? Well, sure. If he wanted to partake of a meal, he could. Verse 5, have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? And or as, yeah, as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? He says, can we be married to a Christian woman? That's a sister, right? Sister in Christ. Can we be married to another? Yeah, sure, we can. We have that power. Verse 6, or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? He said, now just talking about me and Barnabas, are, are we allowed to not work and just get into the ministry and let the ministry support us? Yeah, we could. If we wanted to, we could. But they didn't. We know that Paul worked a side job, if I, you can say it that way. He was a tent maker, and he used that primarily to support himself as he would go from city to city and preach. Could he have given up the tent business and just said, listen, every church where I go, you guys need to feed me. It's your responsibility. Yes. So Paul acknowledges, I know, I know that I can do that. And then he explains why it would be okay. Verse 7, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? So it, it's a question to get us thinking. When a soldier goes out to, to fight and goes to the war, does he have to pay his own way? Does he have to buy his own bus ticket or train ticket or plane ticket? Does he have to buy his own rifle and ammunition? Does he have to pay for his own food? No. Who pays for it? You guys. You guys. You don't hand him the money, but you hand Mr. Sars the money. And then the, after the corrupt politicians take the most of it, amen, then a few rands and cents trickles down to the soldiers and the taxpayer is paying for these soldiers to protect the country. Make sense? Okay. Now, just remember that because this idea of the government receiving taxes, which, by the way, that's a biblical thing. It's, it's gone on throughout the history of the world. Taxation is not necessarily bad as long as it's not sucking you dry. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole today, but, but you know, overtaxation is certainly a problem here. <laughs> but... That's the example Paul is giving. That within your government, you pay taxes so that the government can provide certain services for you. That way you don't have to do all those things. And verse 7 again. Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Well, no one. If you plant the vineyard, you have every right to eat from the fruit of that vineyard. Same thing here at the end. Who feedeth a flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Well, if you're busy working amongst that vineyard or that flock, you have every right to partake of it. Verse 8, uh, yeah, verse 8, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also. Now, now watch this. This is interesting. Here's Paul teaching a New Testament church how to give. Where does he turn them to? He says, let me give you a verse out of the law. Why? Because those verses in the law about tithing and giving are likewise applicable now. That part didn't get nailed to the cross. 
So he says, am I just making this up as a man? Is this just my opinion? Or does this come from the Bible? Verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 25. Doth God take care for oxen? What's the answer? Yes. God made a law, and this is actually an ox. He, he cares about that ox. You cannot strap that, those, put those straps on that ox and make him work all day and put a muzzle on his mouth and not let him eat in the field in which he's working. Let his mouth go free so that when he gets tired or hungry, he can put his head down, grab a bite to eat, and then keep working. Do not mistreat your animals. There's a law for that. Now, this isn't real flattering, but it's very true. Dumb ox right here. <laughs> your pastor is your ox. You put the straps on him. <laughs> and then, Work that field, pastor. Work that field. <laughs> and now, you can't, don't muzzle me, which works two ways. Don't shut me up. <laughs> let me speak. And when I get hungry, let me eat. Now, if you're planning to kill me and make biltong out of me, you fatten me up. But if you're not planning to fatten me up to kill me for the meat, then you just, you're not trying to make me rich. You see what I mean? That's my point. You're not trying to fatten me up to slaughter me. You're just trying to make sure that I'm taken care of. That's the command. So he says, verse 10, Or saith he it altogether for our sakes. Wow. Did God make a law for oxen in the Old Testament just for the Jews and just for oxen? No. That law is something we can learn from and it doesn't only apply to oxen. The principle of it also applies to your pastor. That's his point. Verse 10. Saith he it altogether for our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he that ploweth should plow in hope. So if you're working in that field, physical or spiritual in this case, then you should have an expectation, a hope. I know I'm going to be taken care of and paid for my services. Yeah? He says, and he that thresheth in hope, to thresh is to cut down the fruit that's growing in the field. He that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. So if you've told him, we're going to pay you, take care of your needs. Don't, don't, I want to say renege on that. Make sure you follow through on that payment. Verse 11, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? So here's the exchange. I feed you spiritually, you feed me physically. That's the exchange. And, and Paul's point is, uh, guys, I'm not asking that much. I have given something to you. I have every right to expect something back, even if it's not the exact same thing, but the principle is, is sound. Verse 12, if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? In other words, other apostles would come to town, Peter, Apollos, other men would come and preach. They would give them an offering. And he says, now listen, th those guys deserve their offering. And they partook of your money. But they didn't start the church here. They didn't lead you to Christ. We did. So if they are partakers, we have even more right to, to partake of your money. Nevertheless, Paul says, we have not used this power, this authority, but suffer all things. We allow, it, we allow you to keep the offering, lest we should hinder the gospel. What's he saying? The reason I didn't take your money is because I didn't want you to think that I was preaching for the money. Which is exactly the same reason I don't take a paycheck here. So if you think, well, here's pastor teaching about tithing. This is because he wants a raise. How do you, 
You, how about you multiply my salary by five? What's five times zero? <laughs> zero. So, so you see, I, I have no ulterior motive here. I'm not trying to get a bigger paycheck. I want you as a local church to know what's expected of you biblically. So your tithe will not go to support me directly. It will be used to support this local church and all of its ministries. Now, in the typical local church, the tithe would also pay the pastor's salary and pay the bills so that the local church can continue to minister to the community and especially to its members within. Right? So that's the purpose of the tithe for the church. But just so you know our situation, right? tricky topic. It's a little different for us, but that's how we do it. Verse 13, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? Now he goes back, watch this, to the Old Testament. It says, let's use that as a template for how we should do it now. Those priests down there at the temple, where do they get their paycheck? Well, if you go back and read in the Old Testament, they, they were to receive, when the people brought their tithes, the priest would also take part of that and eat part of those offerings. That's how they survived. And it says, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Don't you know that? Verse 14, even so hath the Lord ordained. Now, that even so is important. In the Old Testament, that's how they did it. The priest provided a spiritual service for the people, so the people provided physical sustenance for the priest. Even so, so now, even now, this is how we do it. Even so, hath the Lord ordained, He set it up, that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So we take that Old Testament setup and we apply it to our New Testament ministry and church. All right, take your Bible, come to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Now, I've given you a few more of the technical parts of it. I'll try to get you some broader details now, broader principles. Deuteronomy 14, and let's get verse number 22. And I only have two broader principles that I, I want you to think about as it pertains to tithing. Maybe I should mention this just before we get into these verses. There is a difference between tithing and offering, okay, and offering, maybe I should say. Under the heading of giving, there is tithing and there is offering. So a tithe, as you've seen, is specifically the tenth. It is a tenth of your income, Leviticus 27. Anything you give beyond the tenth is an offering. Now, there are hundreds of different offerings. Even in the Old Testament, you read about a peace offering, a voluntary offering, a free will offering, a meat offering, a, a, a popcorn offering. Did you know that's in Leviticus chapter 2, a popcorn offering? It doesn't say that. Don't go looking for the word. But you, you put the corn in the pan and, and it pops and, and you give it to the Lord. So a popcorn offering. There's lots of different offerings. But the tithe is a static. It's always there. The offerings can change from month to month. So you understand when it comes to your money, that 10% that is God's. Then after that, if the Lord puts it on your heart or you just want to help, anything you give above and beyond that, would be deemed an offering, okay? So Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. Thou shalt truly tithe. Now pause right there. Truly tithe. You know when SARS comes and says, so how much was your income this year? You say, well, kind of depends on what you mean by how much. <laughs> kind of depends, you know. I, had to, I have this income and that income, but you know, that other one was kind of 
under the table and off the book, so they don't need to know. You know, none of their business. You're not truly tithing. You see, you're not, you're not being honest about your taxes. Tell them what your income was. Pay the proper tax, right? Now, and, and you see, I'm just using that as an illustration. You remember Ananias in the New Testament? How much did you sell the land for? Oh, I sold the land for this much, and now I'm giving you part, you know. Oh, is it? And Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Boop, and he hits the ground dead. Now, I'm not trying to scare you or anything. (laughs) 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 Truly tithe, (laughs) truly tithe. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. Now that was a way to refer to the temple. It hadn't been built yet. The tithe of thy corn and of thy wine and of thine oil and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks. Watch this. Here's the why. That thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. Lord, why are we tithing? Not to make you peculiar. Other people tithe. I'm going to have you tithe so that you always remember to put me first. So that you learn to fear the Lord your God. Because if there's anything that we really, that gives us pause, that makes us stop and think, I have this much money, it's very tempting to go do a lot of things with that money. For somebody to say, okay, I know God gave me this money. That's the broad principle. Number one, God gave me this money. And it's so easy to lose sight of that because you've been out there sweating and toiling and making the money. It's very tempting to start thinking, I made this money. I got this for myself. So God, you have no right to tell me what to do with it. This is my money. No, it's not. God gave you strength. Deuteronomy chapter 8, God gave you strength to get wealth. Without God's help, you wouldn't have that paycheck. And, And I think we all know this, right, in the technical sense. We know it. It's just, it just takes one little wiggle of God's finger and you're done working, right? There are things that can happen and that job, and in South Africa, I think you know that jobs can just disappear like that, yeah? So to learn to fear the Lord your God, to sit down and make your budget and say, the first thing we have to do is give God his money. God's going to come first. And, and even though that's going to put a strain on the rest of my budget and I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills, I believe what God said that if I put him first, that he will take care of the rest. I believe his commands, even though my flesh doesn't want to do that, I'd rather have 100% of my paycheck. But God, you come first. And it's a monthly or weekly reminder, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do, to fear the Lord your God. Proverbs chapter 3, you don't have to turn to it, but it says, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Listen to this, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. So when you don't give of the first fruits, not the last fruits, not the leftovers, not the rubbish that no one else would want, so you give it to the church as kind of like a, a phallus bin, you know. But the first fruits, when you fail to do that, you are dishonoring the Lord. You understand the flip side of that coin. God, you're just not that important. You weren't a big part of this process. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. 
That's not prosperity gospel stuff. That's God just being fair and right. You put me first, I'll take care of you. You take care of me, I'll take care of you. You put my commands high up on the list, you put me first, I'll make sure you're taken care of. Right? And, and, and that's not to say all your wants come to pass. That's the pro- prosperity gospel stuff. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, we like that verse, don't we? Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need. We go, amen, praise the Lord. That's a conditional promise. You go read Philippians 4, verse 16, 17, 18. It is conditioned on those people giving generously to missions. Specifically in the passage, giving to missionaries. And Paul says, because you're so generous, you give of the first fruits, then God's going to make sure you're taken care of. That's just how it works. Turn your Bible to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Now we are obviously in the Old Testament here. We're reading about the nation of Israel. But what you read here, as, as I've shown you, these things apply across the board, not just in the Old Testament. But how God is dealing with the nation of Israel here is the same way He would deal with the local church in the New Testament. So please do not think that Malachi 3 is about the local church. It's not. But it does apply. The lesson of it, the principle of it is the same. Malachi 3 and verse number 8. Now here's the second principle, the broad principle. Number one, God gave you the money. You need to recognize that. And by tithing, you are acknowledging that. You're honoring Him. Number two, when you tithe, you are acknowledging that the local church is a vital, God-ordained institution worthy of your financial support you are recognizing just how important that institution is. And you're recognizing that, Jesus, you set this up. This isn't a man-made institution. We're not asking for membership fees, right? Jesus set it up, and he gave us a way to maintain it and sustain it. I, I, let me just slip this in while I have the thought in my head. The more you invest in the local church, there's a good chance you're going to get more out of it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So it does, it, it does show exactly how much you think of the local church when you invest in it. And guys, it's true, right? If, if you sink a few thousand rands into some investment, you're going to check that every now and again and go, how is this paying off for me? You're going to be interested in it. I don't care hardly anything about the stock market because I don't have much money in it. <laughs> but if I dump a few million in it, I'm going to check. And if you put the right kind of money into the local church, you're going to be here and check and go, hey, how's this paying off? Is this, is this thing healthy? All right, so Malachi 3, verse 8, will a man rob God? Good question. Can you rob God? You say, well, in other places, no, but idiot Africa. <laughs> we know how to stick on baby. We can get him. <laughs> we can rob him. <laughs> will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. God said, you, you stole from me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? God answers, in tithes and offerings. Remember, the tenth is the Lord's. That's His money. When you keep it in your pocket, you're a thief. You've stolen. You've stolen. Verse 9. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
Now, again, that's the nation of Israel, but the principle would be very true of a local church. Verse 10, here's what God recommends and commands. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, Old Testament, that would be the temple. Again, New Testament, that would be the local church. That there may be meat in mine house. And this is a very unique thing that God says next. You don't get this very often in Scripture. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. God says, go ahead, test me. Not in a skeptic kind of, you know, uh, rebellious way, but God says, I want you to find out just how important this is. I want you to find out what a blessing it is to be involved in giving. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, I, I do believe that there is a physical promise there. That if you take care of what God deems important, the storehouse, the temple, the church, that God will make sure your needs are met. I believe that. There's a New Testament promise for that. But I also believe there's something even more important here. That if you put your finances where they ought to be and put God first in those and recognize the importance of the local church, the blessing that you don't have room enough to receive might just be something spiritual, which that's better than the physical. You might just walk out with some peace and joy in your heart that you didn't know you could have. And, and I say this by personal experience and not just two or three times. I'm talking a few hundred times. And I mean that, no exaggeration, where God has put it on my heart, give to this, give to that, put me first in your budget. And when that gets right, man, there is something very peaceful, very right. It just feels good to do it. Christine and I were in Bible school, and we didn't have much money. I worked at McDonald's, and she volunteered at a girl's home. We didn't have much money. We lived for nine months. All we ate was ramen noodles and chicken nuggets because I got chicken nuggets for free at McDonald's. For our anniversary, I took her to the break room of the McDonald's where I managed. And I put a trash bag over the doorway of the break room because we had no door. So we had a trash bag hanging up and I sat down with a candle and nine piece nuggets. <laughs> we had nothing. And then one day I came home, I said, honey, we have a choice. It was a Sunday morning. I said, we got a choice. We can either tithe or eat. I said, we can do one or the other, but we can't do both. And she didn't hesitate. I didn't hesitate. We just looked at each other and thought, well, we know what we have to do. So we filled out the check. That was back in the day, you know, that you still had to write out a check. <laughs> right, right about the ark was being built at that time, but we, I wrote out a check. I took it down to church. That was Sunday morning. I gave the check, and I said, you know, that was a good meal. Bye-bye. <laughs> Put it in the plate. We got home, and I kid you not, I don't, to this day, I don't know who did it. Four big bags. Back in the day, they had paper bags. I don't know if you guys ever had them here. These big paper bags. Full, full. Literally overflowing some of those paper bags. The food had fallen out and was on our porch. It was filled to overflowing. The porch didn't have room to receive it. And we ate for the next two weeks off those groceries. I don't know who did it. We didn't tell anybody we were struggling. We didn't tell anybody about, hey, this is, you know, last-minute stuff. We just put God first. Now, when you see, God says, prove me. Go ahead, try to outgive me. This will be a fun game. Let's do it. Let's play. Let's play. Come on, this will be great. Go ahead, give as much as you can. Watch this. Boom, blessing. 
I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in Malawi, which when we got there was the poorest country in the world. We taught them this same principle, and I've seen it over. It's not like God looks down and says, oh, shame, you're a poor country, so my promises don't apply to you. It only applies to first world countries. (laughs) That's not how it works. These principles work all the time. All right, just for the sake of time, I just have one more thing. I, I had some other verses, but I think you guys have gotten the point by this time. I just want to, one more common objection or question that comes up. People say, you know, it, it's my money, so shouldn't I be, be able to give it to whoever I want to? And, and the, the idea is this, yes, I know I should tithe, but I don't want to give my tithe to the church. So I'll kind of skip the church. I'll take that tenth and give it to whoever I want. I'll go find somebody that's in need. I'll go find, you know, a family member that needs help, and I'll just give it to them. Well, that, in doing so, I appreciate the generous nature of that, that at least you want to help. But a couple things you want to remember. God has already told you what to do with that money. And this is how you learn to fear God, to say, God, this is your money, so you get to tell me what to do with it. And if you want me to support these things, right, this local church, that's a New Testament command. That's the way that it worked. In Acts chapter 4, the people brought the money to the apostles and laid it at their feet. Remember that? And then the local church distributed it as they saw fit, as they were led by, by God. That's the way it's been done. To ignore that and say, God, I got a better plan. I don't need the local church to do it. I'll do it. Now listen, if you're part of a local church that you don't trust, If you don't think that local church and that pastor is going to handle the money properly, find another church. It's as simple as that. Go to another church right away. Because if he cannot be faithful in that which is least, he will not be faithful in that which is much. Right? So if you're you're in that situation and and truly you fear the pastor is corrupt, go to another church. But if not then the God-ordained method is to give it to the church and then the church will pray about as it's distributed. Now, that's your tithe. If you want to go help Uamtani, you know, the Neophias, Nichis, all of that, you want to help them out, help the person on the street, please feel free. You do have money that you can do that with. But that doesn't replace the tithe, right? That's the God-ordained way of supporting the church. All right, that's as far as we'll get this morning. Let's all stand. I hope that's helped. If you do have some more questions about that, please feel free to catch me later. Be happy to clear that up. Father, I do pray that um, you'd help us to be mindful of the money that you have provided us. And Lord, we don't want to get into a contest where we're trying to actually win, but we want to get into this, this command that you gave us to prove you because we want to learn. So Lord, I pray you'd please teach us to be generous. Uh, remind us of the importance of these God-ordained institutions, this church. And Lord, we want to be very careful with the money that you provide, how to use it, how to distribute it, that, how to distribute that. Lord, we don't take that lightly. Father, prepare our hearts for what we're going to hear in the service to come. And I pray you bless our fellowship now in Jesus' name. Amen.